think that's going. Yep. Um, and I thought we'd just have a chat and you could tell me about what you know. I don't know. I guess if we start with your mum and dad, what do you know about them? Where did they meet? And when did they get married? And Well, they met in England. Yep. Mum was a cook at one of the uh, high schools. Then uh, Dad and his brother came out to Geraldton and uh, finished up in Northampton with the farm each. When did he come out here? Hmm? When was that? When did he come out? It was before the First World War, I'm not sure. Oh, okay. But it was before the First World War, because when the war broke out, my father joined the 10th Life Horse in Australia and his brother stayed home and looked after the two farms. Mm -hmm. When the war finished, Mum and Dad married in England and then they came out on the troop ship. Okay. Because at that time, Mum had been transferred from working in the, or cooking in the school to the airport, but I don't know what she was doing. Hmm. So they came out here in 1918, be close to 1919 by the time they got here. Yeah. And then they went on to their farm at uh, uh, Dindaloa, just out of Northampton. Hmm. And then, so you and your sister were the firstborn? Yep. We were born the 11th, the 11th, 1920. It must have been close to midnight because I remember Mum saying, if I'd have been any later, I would have been born the next day. Hmm. And then two brothers after you guys? Then, um, uh, the following January or February, when my second brother was, my first brother was born. Yep. Then uh, I think it was near enough two years, but it was in May the 14th, my youngest brother was born. Oh, okay. He's a May baby. Yeah, May 14th. So your dad's brother was out here. Did he get married as well? Did you have cousins? He married a name, uh, lady by the name of Annie Hoskins, and they had eight children. Wow. Four girls, four boys. So you have eight cousins? Hmm? You had eight cousins? Yes, but when Dad and his brother come out here, another brother came out and went to Victoria. Oh, okay. Which I, I've never met, I've heard about him, I know the youngest brother met him. Yep. Because when he joined the airport, he stayed with them. Huh. So I don't know what cousins, uh, children they had, but I know they had one daughter. Okay. Wow. Heatherton's all across the country. <laughs> well, there's a heck of a lot about when you see the names in... Uh, Electoral rolls and adverts and mm. yeah, yep. And one in the police force, isn't there? That's, hmm? There's one in the police force. There was two in the police force. Two brothers. Yep. The eldest one left the police force to join some security firm. Oh, okay. Uh, that was Mark. Hmm. Forget for the moment what the other brother's name was. They look alike, quite big fellas, but he's still in the police for Scott. Scott, yeah. And are they in Perth or they're up in Geraldton? No, they're in Miss Walton here somewhere. Oh, okay. Because they live in Belmont. Yeah. 
Oh, they're your brother from Belmont. They're his kids. Yeah, loads of sons. Your nephews. Hmm. Okay. But you don't see much of anybody, really. Oh, no, we usually go down and see Les, but I see him a couple of times a year. Hmm. Were you close growing up? Hmm? Were you close growing up with your brothers and your sister? I don't think we're ever really close like a lot of people are. No? Because when we left to go to work, we all went different directions. Yeah. So I went to work at 15. My brother left school, I think, the following year or year after. Finished up working with the same people for a while. Yeah. Well, then I went Agina and Ogilvy breaking in horses then. I was about 16 that time, hmm. or 16 and a half. Had you broken in horses before that? Uh, no, breaking in. I had ridden before that, of course. I'd been handling horses since I was six. Yeah. Because you brought up with them in those days. That's your motor car. Yeah. But, yeah. Hmm. But you all used to walk to school together? We all used to walk to school together, yeah. We walked two and a half miles each way until the school got shifted. Yep. Then we had to walk four miles each way, bar a few yards. Yeah. And then you get home and you have a cup of tea or water or something and biscuit and then you head off down to a 500 acre paddock and find the cows. Yeah. And drive them home and then you've got the cows to milk. <coughs> You leave them in at night time in a 10 acre paddock, milk them in the morning, open the gate and away they go. Hmm. So by then you would be pretty tired and that's why you wouldn't... Well I suppose we were but we'd never sort of notice it. Yeah. Hmm. So, um, why do you think you weren't close when you were little? You think there was just too much going on or...? Well there was nothing going on but we were sort of spread out a bit. Yeah. I mean. My sister and two brothers and I lived with our mother on the farm. But when the depression, Dad had to go out to work. Well, he was working six miles out of Northampton, clearing land with an axe and a mattock. Mm. Contract clearing, because you're pretty good for an axe. So he was only home about once every six weeks for about two days. Oh, okay. Because you ride a horse back and forth. Eh? So what was he doing before the Depression? When was the Depression? 1929? Yeah. So before that, what was he doing? Did they have their own farm and just live off the land? or? By that time, we'd shifted from uh, Dindaloa to Yuna. Yep. We had that farm there. But then they got the Depression. Then they got a sort of a drought. Then my father contacted rheumatoid arthritis. Oh. So he eventually lost the farm. So did you move into town or onto another farm? Or? No, we stayed there for a long time and then uh, we moved onto a farm at Okabella, which would belong to the same people I was working for. Okay. And uh, they were the people that bought the farm that the, my father had in Dindaloa before he moved out to, to uh, Una. Because they had a lot of land. That was D.W. Nelly Bridgman. Hmm. They had that Eastbrook estate. Okay. So, yeah. what about birthdays and that when you were young? Were they a big deal or was it just another day? Or 
Oh, mum always made a birthday cake and things like that, otherwise virtually another day, same with Christmas. Yeah. And what about presents? Were they... Did she oh, yeah, there was always a present or two. Did yeah. she used to make stuff or buy stuff or...? A bit of both. Yeah? She used to buy things like toys or whatever. By that time, of course, we had grandparents and uh, relatives in England, of course, they used to send some parcels out. Oh, okay. But that'd be mostly clothes. Yeah. You never met your grandparents then? Oh, no, no. Never saw them. Were you ever told anything about them? Probably did, but I forget if she did. Yeah. I know she lost two brothers in the war. Hmm. Never heard anything about Dad's parents. Hmm. So um, when you went to work, was that because you had to go and work? There was nothing else to do at school, or...? I'd gone as far at school as I could go. Yeah. In those days, there was very little transport, so you couldn't go to school anywhere. Yeah. Unless you could afford a board. Mm -hmm. But with the depression, we weren't in that position. And uh, correspondence was quickly non-available because you couldn't get any mail up. Oh, okay. So when I finished my 15th year, yeah. I went straight to work for Bridgman. Breaking in horses and... Yeah. Well, I was there for... Actually, I was there for two and a half years. Did you enjoy it? Hmm? Did you enjoy it? Well, I probably did or I didn't. I don't know. In those days, you did what you had to do. Yeah. yeah. I remember I was there like two and a half years, whatever it was, on a shilling a day. Or ten cents a day. Wow. You get up in the morning, you light the lantern and go and milk the cows. <laughs> then you come back and you have your breakfast and go to work out in the paddock with the men. Same thing when you come home. They're having their meal, but you're out in the weather milking the cows for the lantern. And there used to be three or four of them. So the days were pretty long. So you started, finished after dark and started before daylight. Wow. For ten cents. And you're bored? You live there? Hmm? You lived on that property? Yes. Oh, you got your food. Yeah. Yeah, you got your food, yeah. Still. They had like a shed, or probably as big as this room. Yeah. With two beds in it. I had one, a bloke by the name of uh, Murray Standen. No, Shaw Standen was in the other one. He was working with the same people. So just a room? Just a room, yeah. So like with a wash basin or? No, nothing. You had to go to the house for that, which was pretty well right there. Okay. And it was it lined or sealed? Don't define that now. <laughs> <laughs> so ten cents then would what would that buy you? Well, it'd buy you very little. Like how well, long would it take you on that sort of wage to buy, say, a pair of boots? Well, with boots, it used to take me seven and a half days wages to buy a shoddy pair of boots, what they call blucher boots. They'd last you six months if you're lucky. Okay. I can buy a lot better pair now on half a day's wages rather than seven and a half. Yeah. And they'll last me around two years. Okay. <laughs> That's the difference. Yeah. Yeah. So the Depression was 1929, yeah? Started then, yeah. And finished when? Oh, it the last couple of years or whatever, but the effects were felt for a long time after. Yeah. Because, you see, nobody had any money, so nobody could get work. Yeah. Other than virtually nothing. 
I know blokes who were carrying their sweat from job to job and they'd get go and cut wood for the housekeeper or the cook or wherever she was and get a meal and go on looking for the next one. Hmm. So what do you remember? Because you would have been quite young, like nine. Do you... Was it something that everybody knew about or do you think your family, your parents tried to protect you from it or what were you told? Do you remember? Oh, no, they couldn't really protect you from because everybody's in the same boat. Yeah. If you had money and could keep going, you were right. But in this case, my father sold the property and bought the big one in Yuna, which meant he had to get it from the bank, mm -hmm. some of it. Yep. So, of course, as soon as you get a drought or a famine or whatever, mm -hmm. your income stops. Yeah. That's why he had to go back to work. Okay. Whereas others would battle long if they had the money to keep going. I remember plenty of times you'd come home to bread and dripping, because mm -hmm. that's all you'd have. We'd go out setting rabbit traps. Well, there weren't rabbit traps, they were snares made out of thin wire. Okay. We'd find where the rabbits would run through the bush and put the snare there. Yep. So if we are lucky, the rabbit come along run through the snare and we'd have it next morning because he caught around the neck. And that's how we got our meat quite a lot. Okay. And vegetables, did you grow your own? We grew our own vegetables. Yep. My and father used to put in the garden. Then all of us could used to put in a little garden. Oh, okay. So everybody had a garden, but yes, where possible we'd grow our own vegetables. But to keep them going, I'd have to go to a well which is about 200 yards from the house mm -hmm. and draw the water up with the bucket, and I could only handle a gallon bucket because it's only about so big. Yeah. Carry it down to water the garden, so it was a never-ending job. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I had to walk half a mile to the Mara Dam and we'd put tins and jars and that in a little billy cart yep. and drag it back for the uh, garden. See, we couldn't use a rainwater tank. There's no such thing as water laid on. Yeah. And the rainwater tank was only 1,000 gallons. And if you didn't get any rain, you didn't get much water. Yeah. So that was always kept for the cooking and the uh, drinking and that. So water was uh, very scarce commodity most of the time. Mm. Yep, and then you got water from the well for washing? Yes. Okay. And what about clothes and that sort of thing? Uh, water from the well again? Okay. Yep. Wow. So overall, when you were young, do you remember it being a happy time or a hard time? or? Well, what I remember, boy, you didn't know any different. Yeah. So we just took things as they come, so we were all right, I thought. Hmm. Okay. Now and again, if somebody was there to melt the cows, we would walk to our auntie's place, which was nine miles, mm -hmm. and then the lower, and then walk back again. We just think nothing of it. Hmm. If they come to see us, they'd have, be an awesome cart, but the kids would run. Yeah. There wouldn't be enough room for everybody in the horse and cart, and that'd be too slow anyway. So you guys had horses as well? We only had the one horse. Yep. And the father, when he had to go to work, he used to take him to ride back and forth. Oh, okay. Otherwise, he was the one I'd put in the cart and go carting wood for the house. Yep. So when you say you were handling horses from the age of six, that was that horse, or were yeah. there other horses that yeah. you... I, no, the only time we had other horses was when he hired in a team. Okay. So, so I was handling that one. Yep. 
once I went out to work while well, I was handling quite a number of horses then on Bridgeland's property because you had teams to work for a start and then cart horses and hacks and all that sort of thing. So teams you mean the ones that would do the furrows ploughing or? No, no, the bigger ones with the discs and that. Oh, okay. Six or eight horses depending on what machine you're pulling. Yeah. We did have a single furrow at home. I, worked, I used to get on a horse and ride it and steer it while my father hang on to the hand. Oh, okay. The handles there, yeah. So the handles that have got like the plough thing in the ground? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the single pole is a moldboard, so you've got the moldboard that goes along and you've got a wheel out here with the beam coming back. Yeah. And then two handles out here like a wheelbarrow. Oh, okay. And that just ploughs it up and then you've got to go through and seed it all. No, that's what we used to use for the garden. Oh, okay. Uh, that had ploughed over, then we'd just rake it out, go and gather up cow manure and spit it in and rake it in and plant the garden in. Ah. Mm. And all four of you children had your own little patch? Hmm? All four of you had your own patch? Yes, yeah. uh, three of us, yes. Me and my two brothers, my sister was never in that. She oh. always had to do housework. Oh, okay. Help mum out. So she never come outside, unless you come out and play with us playing cricket or something. Yeah. So did you used to play cricket a fair bit? Yeah. Just a, a stick or did you have a proper bat or...? Both. <laughs> okay. <laughs> out in the paddock. So your sister, did she have to milk the cows and that as well? Yeah. Twice a day. Yep. Depending on the time of the year, depending whether you milk one or two. I usually milk two and my brother one, same winter time. Yeah. But what you had was one going out of milk and one coming in. So you had more in wintertime than you did summer. Oh, okay. You'd able to say one or two in summertime and three in winter. But one would be going out and one would be coming in. Hmm. So when you went away to work and you were there for two and a half years, and what did you do after that job? Because that would have been like farmhand, was it? Or Yeah, farmhand on Eastbrook for... Bridgelands. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then I went to a bloke by the name of Mac Min, which was just out of Northampton going uh, north. Mm -hmm. I went there to put his crops in and break horses in. Oh, okay. He was a uh, baker by trade. Hmm. He had a fair bit of land in town, like three, four acres or something. Yeah. So he bought some sheep of the side out and put on them. And he stuck a good market, so he made a fantastic price when he put those half a dozen sheep back in the market. So he reckoned there's a lot of money to be made in this farming, so he went farming, even though he was a butch, uh, baker by trade. Wow. But he didn't know anything about farming, he didn't know anything about horses. Yeah. And at one time he wanted me to work a 10-disc undercut, which is a 10-disc plough plus drill combined, all in one machine. Okay. Now you've got to have eight good horses in that. He wanted me to work it with six, and I told him I wouldn't do it. So he hops in the car, puts me in the car, and goes down to see my father. Anyhow, he brought my father back, and he had to look at what was going on. He, this bloke of arse back in, he said, Arthur, told you before, this is a tender thundercut, which is a cedar as well, that's a plough com drill combine. You've got to have eight big horses in that, or ten little ones. So I won that argument, so I finished up breaking in his horses. Oh, okay. <laughs> then I went to uh, Ogilvy, 
Well, Broken Horses for Yui McNaught and Alec Horan. Then when that got finished, I went to a bloke by the name of Charlie Mann, who had a brother out in Gidigana. Mm -hmm. I broke in horses there for him. So who taught you to break in horses? Or was it taught just... Taught myself. Just something Most you of, Well, Billy Beefen used to break all, all his own, and I'd be helping. Yeah. So you keep both eyes and ears open. I used to, they used to shoe all those, so I learned how to shoe. Yep. yep. Just watching and learning. Hmm. Did you prefer breaking in horses to working out in the paddocks? Oh, it depends on the horses. Yeah. <laughs> Did you have some real hair? Not a ones? bad job. Shoeing's the worst. Yeah. Because they'd be kicking and dragging all over the country. Yeah. But, but, no, breaking in was all right, so long as. You had your own way, could do it your way, and that as long as you do it properly. Yeah. And do it, you know, take plenty of time. Because you could either break horse in or break it up very yeah. quick. Because it's easy to teach any animal bad habits. Yeah. So, I was very careful on that. Because my father used to break horses in too, so I picked up a lot from him. Mm. The worst thing to do is have a temper when you're handling horses. Yeah. So, um, but you would have had some feisty ones regardless. Mm -hmm. You would have had some feisty ones. Oh yeah. Any that really stand out? Well, not really. They had one or two extra quiet. Hmm. We had one, you, if you couldn't catch it in the yard, you spread your horse down, it comes down between you walk up and put the bridle on then the collar. And away you go. Hmm. We had another one, you only had to hold the rope up with the loop yep. and you'd come put his head through it. Wow. But those sort of things don't happen very often. Yeah. And they were, where were they getting the horses from that you were breaking in? Well, they mostly breeding themselves in those days. Okay. Or you'd go to the markets in Northampton or wherever, or on the cocky's place because everybody bred their own horses virtually. Yep. So you could buy, go and buy horses pretty well anywhere, as long as you could pay their price. Were they expensive? Well, with the money you were paid, I guess they were, but you could get a good horse for $60, $70, a uh, quid, yep. which is about $120 today. Hmm. So you won't get a horse like that now under about 3000 Yeah. Would have taken you a while to earn that sort of money, though. Oh, quite did you, yeah. So when did you get your own... Your first horse that was yours? I got my first one while I was working for Bridgman, but that only cost me five quid. How come? And that was a Brumby. He was about seven years old. He was a motherless pole. Yeah. So he didn't grow very big. And he was one of the quietest horses I ever broke in. Because uh, Brumbies are a bit like that. Yeah. And what did you call him? I'm trying to find out what did call him Eric, I think. Okay. <laughs> and so you had him for a while? I had him for three or four years. Yep. And uh, then I got him off me for the kids. Because he was eight, supposed to be eight or nine years old when I got him broken in. Mm. Hmm. That's very late for a horse. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. 
So it's a wonder that he was that quiet when you broke him in and put the saddle on and that mm. at that age. It's a wonder he didn't kick up a bigger fuss. Yeah. But I broke him in like with the mouthing and driving and all that sort of thing. Yeah. And then a, an Aboriginal by the name of Councillor, Johnny Councillor was the next jockey, mm -hmm. came out and led him into Northampton, saddled him up and moved around anymore. He said, this pony's quiet. So he got in him and rode him up and down the streets of Northampton and brought him back again. <laughs> <laughs> and so somebody brought him as their kid's pony. And did you have a horse, another horse? On yeah, the I, uh, I was sure. Uh, he was only 14 too, but he was thoroughbred. Okay. He was a character horse too, very fast, good stock horse, but not fast enough for racing. Yeah. How big was your little Brumby? About 14 hand. Okay. I a little fellow, might have been a little boy, wouldn't be much. Yeah. Yeah. And you sold him he wasn't a great stock horse or? He, he was very good. In fact, I had to ride from Eastbrook down to Okabella to another property of Bridgman's and uh, a bloke by the name of Sid Brooks, uh, Sid Bridgman, mm -hmm. rode Laurie Bridgman's pony just being broken in, same yep. as mine. Yep. Well, we went down there, mustered up the sheep, came back again and by that time he's leading the horse because it had knocked up. My bloke was going that well, I had to go out two paddocks and check around the horses and then come back. Hmm. Well, he was tough. Yeah. Hmm. Bron most Brumbies are, hey? Oh, yeah, and sure-footed. Yeah. yeah. They're good horses for stock. Do you think you preferred working with horses to people? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> A lot of better horses than some people, that's for sure. Yeah. What about some of the people that you worked with? Any of them stand out for good or bad reasons? Oh, I don't think. No. So when you moved to, um, to that second and third job, were you still, did they have like workers' quarters or what were you living in then? Well, when I went to MacNaught, we had like a big shed, corrugated iron roof and bag size. We had two bats there, of course. Nobody else there. Uh, when I went to Mac, uh, Mac Min, they had like a house with a sort of a passage and another house like joined together. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so we had a room there, there was three of us in that. Yeah. There was me and his eldest son and a, a bloke that bought the, the Brumby. Okay. Working there then. A uh, man, he had a, I don't know how many rooms in the house, but there was only him there and me, so we had a room each. Okay. In the main house? Hmm. So, and that, when were you working for him? Is that where you were working when the war broke out? I was working for Mac Ming when the war broke out. What do you I got called up. What do you remember about that? I just got word that I had to be on the train to be in Northampton. I think my brother-in-law, Clary, mm -hmm. Chisholm got the message, I think. Did they just call all young men? Did you like? Did you know that the war had started? Oh, yeah, yeah. How did you know? 
Oh, well, you did have wirelesses and papers. Yep. Not that we had one, but uh, the people I worked with did. They Everybody knew what was going on. Mm. And, uh, in fact, Bridgman, he had one son joined up, mm -hmm. so we knew about that. And then I had a cousin joined up, which was Henry. Mm -hmm. And then I joined up, and my brother joined up, and my father joined up. Oh, so your dad went in the Second World War as well? Yeah. And he was in the First World War? My father was in the First World War, 10th Light Horse. Yep. He went all over Egypt and France and all those places. The Second World War, he got as far as Darwin. Okay. I think he was in Darwin when it got bombed. Wow. And then when he got transferred from there, he got transferred back to the base in... Um, well, near Claremont. Swanbourne? Hmm? Swanbourne. Swanbourne, yeah. yeah, that's right. He was there and he was the one that discharged me. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. So when you got, when you went and joined, so you went to Northampton and you joined the army. So did you join in Northampton? Yeah, I was in Northampton when I joined, yeah. Yep, and then they sent you to Perth for training or what they did they do? They sent me to... Uh, was somewhere in South Perth. What the heck was the name of it? Just out of South Perth somewhere. Okay. Como or something. No, it wasn't Como. Different names of that. Hmm. I might think of it one day. <laughs> was it like a barracks where they were training people? Yeah. 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 Yeah, went there and then after I'd been there for a while I went eight months to Rottnest on guard. What did that mean, being on guard? Well, they had gun emplacements over Rottnest. Yep. So you had a person there on guard, standing sentry with a rifle, full pack, everything. Yep. For 24 hours a day. Okay. So you'd be two hours on, two off. Oh, around the clock? Hmm? When do you sleep? You can just sleep the best way you can. I did eight months with very little sleep. Wow. That must have been tough. Yeah. And were you ever at risk there? Hmm? Were you ever, was there ever a risk to Perth from there? Well, I don't think it was a real risk, but you didn't take chances. Yeah. What the trouble was, a black man named McEwing, who had a baker shop in uh, Fremantle, mm -hmm. he was an ex-German. He was also a colonel. He got his driver to drive him out to a cliff and Rotner. And then sent him away and said, come and get me and so-and-so. Hmm. The driver goes back, no sign, never heard of him since. Wow. He had all the plans for the guns and everything. So they reckon he could have been picked up by a submarine. Yeah. And that's why we had to start going on guard to guard all the guns and the places and all that sort of thing. Hmm. Because those guns overlook the uh, channel where all the boats come into the harbour yeah. between Rottenest and Garden Island. Hmm. So if they got blown out of place, Garden Island had no protection. Yeah. Neither the Fremantle. But it would probably be Garden Island they'd be after because that's where all the boats were, yeah? Yeah. Huh. 
fascinating. You don't hear about that one when you're doing history at school, do you? <laughs> yeah. And they never know, they no idea what happened to him. Got no idea what happened to him. Wow. But they reckon soon he took all the plans and that of rotten it. Yep. That he knew he was going to get picked up. Because hmm. for a start, Where'd you he get the sent his driver from? away. Yeah. Which is a thing that they never normally do. Yeah. So he must have been covering up something or he wouldn't have sent the driver away. Mm. Plus all the gear. None of that turned up anyway. Wow. But he was a colonel for the German army. Yeah. So how come people like that weren't taken as prisoners of war when war broke out? I don't think they were wake up. Oh, okay. So he, he was a baker by trade. Yeah. Was after that, after he left, then they found out he was actually a German colonel. Oh, okay. By the name of Colonel Turing, of Turing's Bakers. Huh. Up till then, he was just an ordinary citizen. Wow. Fascinating. Mm. So you did eight months there, and then what? Then I went to uh, Strawberry Hill, did a lot of training, put in a big road as well. That's up the uh, north, going up toward Jordan. Oh, okay. Uh, then we went to Jordan. Yep. At uh, Bluff Point, I think it was. And that's where I did a lot of training, because that time I was acting lieutenant. Yep. We did a lot of training there, going out in the dark, climbing up boats, sailing out and then getting into boats and then coming into law practice and landing. Mm -hmm. From there I got sent back to Northern and then I got called up to go to New Guinea. So I worked away to Queensland, did jungle training there and then over to New Guinea, then on to New Britain. Wow. And how old were you then? Oh, about 20, 21. Was it exciting or scary or...? We never used to think of those sort of things. You know, you don't have time. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know what I used to think anyway about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, yeah, like that's Nick's age. So to be sort of thrust into that. Mm, yeah. You just wonder what would go through your head. Yeah. So you went to New Guinea and then you were working, training the natives? Yeah, yeah. But I, I was in New Guinea long, I got transferred, transferred to New Britain. Yeah. Which is a big, big island just off New Guinea. Okay. And then, uh, of course, war stopped. So we built a big compound at Rabaul Harbour. Mm -hmm. You've got Rabaul Harbour and the water, and you've got a, up there you've got a big hill. It's a volcano. Oh, okay. So we built a big compound here, and we had a lot of Japanese war prisoners there. Well, one of my jobs was taking gangs out, like patrols, yep. going round up the, the odds and sorts of the Japanese, because a lot of them didn't know the war was finished. Oh, okay. That'd be dangerous though, because they, they oh, yeah. you're, you're the enemy and you're yeah. out there trying to say, hey guys, you know. That's right. We were a bit lucky, because with the, Australia, the natives, they were getting very good at finding their way around and they'd, you know, they'd get amongst the villages and ask questions and all that sort of thing. Yeah. So they had a pretty good idea of what was going on. But the main trouble, they were very, very cocky. They were always better than they thought they were. You know, you get into trouble blooming quick. Yeah. You have to be very careful, otherwise they'd run you into trouble. 
not deliberately just because they were too clever. Yeah. They are the fastest learning race of people you'd meet. Wow. I mean, they learned to drive a big truck in a few minutes. Hmm. Learned to use typewriters and wirelesses and all that sort of thing very, very quick. Wow. Hmm. So, um, when you were out rounding up people, like, did you, were they in groups or were they single people out there in the bush? Or? Oh, you get them in ones and twos. Yeah. We never got many because most of them got word the island wasn't that big. It's fair size when you haven't got communication. Yeah. But uh, the natives, I used to get around and pass the word about. And I guess if you were travelling in a group and you came across one person, then they're more likely to go, OK. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, there was always, like, uh, nine of you in your, in your section that you'd be leading. Yeah. They were all New Guinea natives because... When I first started up there, I had to help teach the number one infantry battalion, which was all natives, mm -hmm. number one, two, and three. Yeah. So we had, we had you know, some good soldiers amongst them like that, but you had to watch them not so they get too bloody cocky. Yeah. Yeah. And they were good cooks. They'd get you tins of bully beef and biscuits, take them out to the markets, Swapping for bananas or pawpaws or whatever fruit was going. Yep. Bit of variety going on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were good. <laughs> so, um, and then from there you were sent back to Perth and discharged? From there, yeah, yeah, eventually I come back through uh, Sydney. Yep. We struck a storm coming over and the captain reckoned it was the worst storm he had truck struck for, I think he said, 19 years. It took two extra days to get into Sydney on account of the storm. Hmm. On a boat? On a boat, yeah. yeah. And then we uh, worked our way back by train to uh, Karakata in... then got discharged. Were you given the option to stay in the army? Hmm? Were you given the option to stay in the army? Or did they discharge everybody? Like now people... Oh, you could uh, stay on if you wanted, yeah. yeah. But when you brought into discharge, most people just went. Yeah. Yeah, but you could stay on or re-enlist, as they call it. Yeah. Start off again. Okay. And so when you discharge, what does that involve? They just give you all your papers, make sure your medical's all up to standard, your pay's up to standard. Yeah. Pay you for whatever leaves due and give us 10 quid to start off with. Ten quid was a lot of money then, or? Well, I bought a crosscut saw, an axe, a pick, and a crowbar with it. <laughs> <laughs> so, and your dad signed your papers off. So, do you yeah. get? Have you got your papers somewhere? I think they're in my will and those sort of paper. Oh, okay. I know the ABAG three. The ABAG three and paybook are there. The ABAG3 is a book that has all your medical records and all that sort of thing in Oh, okay. And then your, your pay book, it's like a bank book, shows all your pay that you've had, your holidays and all that sort of thing. Was the pay good in the army? Hmm? Was the pay in the army good? We used to get six shillings a day. We in fact, the, the boys made up a parody. We are Bren Garner, who was the... The uh, general. Yeah. We are Bren Garner's. His name was Bren Garner. 
But anyway, they called it, we are Brangana's gorillas, and you pay us a sixteeners a day. <laughs> so sh six shillings is like, what's that in? A shilling is ten cents. Oh, so sixty cents a day. Yeah. Okay. That's what it works out to today. Yeah. See, a, a shilling used to be twelve pence. A ten cent piece is actually ten pence. Yeah. Within today's standard, it would be 60 cents a day. Yeah. Yeah, because when they changed the money over, they devalued all the money by 20%, didn't they? That's exactly right. Yeah. That's why it come from 12 pennies yeah. to 10 pennies. Yeah. Sneaky. So, ah. And um, so you got discharged, and then did you say your brother bought you and him a block of land? No, I did. Oh, you bought them both. I got leave. When I was in New Guinea, yep. you came home because my father rose up and said, Bunnings are selling a lot of land. Oh, okay. And you could get it fairly reasonable on easy terms. Yeah. So I had to leave due, so I applied for it, so I come home and I bought block on Bunning Road, which was 250 acres, mm -hmm. and then a block on Stanley Street yep. off Tudor Road, which was 206 acres. And then I finished up buying one in Joseph Road, which was 95 acres. Hmm. So I bought the one on Bunning Road from brother. Yep. Well, he paid for it. I just went and got it. Yeah. So when you say easy terms, like, um, they just let you pay it off? Yep. It was a bit of a tax vault for a start, because what Bunning was doing, the prices range from... Uh, a pound, two pounds an acre, to some odd shilling. Forget what the brother was, but mine off Stanley Street was two pound five an acre. You put down a hundred dollars per year for each acre, for each hundred acres. So it cost forty dollars or forty quid a year, no interest. Oh, okay. There was no interest for a while until the taxation caught up with them. Oh. They had to charge interest. Yeah. So had that put it up a little bit. Oh, you hadn't finished paying it off by then? No. Well, you, I know I hadn't finished paying mine because it took a few years to get that far. Yeah. <clears throat> but you could go and pay it outright if you got, went to the bank and got the money. Yeah. But it didn't pay because your bank interest was more than, more than what they were charging anyway. Yeah. Yeah, and then you sold the wood from there to them anyway, didn't you? Yeah, that's what we bought them for. Yeah. So they basically paid for the... They paid you to pay them back. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And so you Because they cut all the, the real big logs out. Yeah. But all the, a lot of little logs are still there and, of course, the dry wood. Yeah. So, yeah. And then you sold one of the blocks and kept the other one, or...? I sold the one off Stanley Street yep. and kept the one off Joseph Road. Mm -hmm. And that's where you were living when you met Auntie Rona? Uh, I met Auntie Rona while I was on Joseph Road. Okay. Her father owned the one that I bought off Stanley Street. Oh, okay. Not Stanley Street, Joseph Road. Yep. Right in the gully. Oh, okay. So you met her through her father? Yeah, because we used to work together. Yep. Work together doing the logging. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. 
So you came back, you bought the blocks, and then you went back, and then the war finished, and you got discharged. Yeah. And then you moved there. Was there a house there? Oh no, no nothing. So you built one. We bought some corrugated iron. Yep. The corrugated iron is what they call turn coated. It was off the uh, pig size. What they call pig size is the temporary structures they used to make at the siding to put the wheat in. Oh, okay. They're, they're pig size. Hmm. So we got the iron off them. Yep. Because after a while they start building new holdings and they do away with the pig size. See, so that went second hand, but that's all you could get. And uh, you had to paint it, otherwise you couldn't catch water off for drinking. Oh, okay. Because it wasn't galvanised, and you turned coated. Yeah. yeah. So I just built a, a shack, I think it was 12, 12 feet square or something. The brother had the same. Mm -hmm. And the brother, of course, was going with Joseph, Josephine Hennessy. Mm -hmm. Her mother had a little house in Bunbury, which was a uh, corrugated iron roof and uh, weatherboard. So my brother, so he and my father went down to Bunbury because Mrs. Hensley had given them this little house. Hmm. So they went down and pulled it down and brought it up, put it on his block at Bunning Road. Oh, okay, that's where that came from. Hmm. Wow. So he just pulled it apart and rebuilt it when he got up here. Yeah. Huh. So you must have been pretty handy then. And like you must have been pretty handy. Is that just something you learnt from your yeah. working life? Yeah. Well, I'd help build a house or two. Yeah. Didn't you help build some Brown's milk sheds or something? Hmm? Didn't you help build some Brown's milk sheds? Yep. When was that? Oh, that was 1950 to 1953. Oh, okay. We built the milk, the uh, milk processing shed. Yep. Cheese room, freezer room. Hmm. We bought the calf shed, built the calf shed, the dairy, bull sheds, stockyards, three houses, and the irrigation sump. So the water from the dairy would go into one, from the milk treatment plant go into another, and that sprayed out across the paddocks. Wow. That's yeah, we did a lot of building there, three years. Who was Me that? Me and uh, Jack Mellard. Neither of us were qualified builders, but we had done pretty well at it. Yeah. And Browns knew it. So that's what we went and did. So how did they find you? Or did, was it a tender that you applied for? Or At this stage, Rona's father was the manager of Brown's farm where the building was being put. Oh, okay. And he told me what was going on. Yep. So I got into touch with Jack Mallard and asked him if I could have a job. Yep. And told him what I knew about building and all the rest of it. And so we got together and he did it. And we only had two blokes helping us, and they weren't much chop. Yeah. That was John Gillespie and John Nankara from just down the road a bit. They used to spend that much time kicking the football back and forwards that I think they spent half a day kicking the ball around, not much work. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, you met Aunty Rona when you came home during a break in the war, so between 19, when was the war, 40? No, I got discharged in the uh, 19th of April, 1946. Okay. And I went straight out and built these two shacks with my brother, because he, yep. he was discharged by that time. 
And it was that time when I actually met Rona. Well, I'd seen her about. Yeah. But that's when I actually met her. So, um, and you'd met Keith and met Joan? Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, they're all living there. Yeah. Because they had a, a bush shack built on this 97 acre property which I bought in Joseph Road. Yeah, and where did they move to then? Hmm? Where did they move to from there? Chidlow? Yeah, that's right. They moved to Chidlow in the old shop. Yeah, in the old real estate. And place. then they went and lived in one dairy for a while in a tent. Oh, okay. And you they, kept... he, This time he and Keith were both working on the boilers, feeding the boilers for the pig iron plant. Because that was still operating in those days. Yep. Yeah. That would be what, about 1948. So when did you and Aunty Rona get married? 49. Okay. 10, 12th of October, I think. 8 till the 12th of October, 49. And then you went away to work? Yeah. Oh, she was with me. Oh, okay. You both lived down there? Yeah. Because yes. where was it, the Browns one that you built? It was in Cool Up. Okay. Well, they had the farmhouse where Norm Townsend then was staying. Yep. Then they had another house owned by the same people that bought the block from, and we lived in that house. Oh, okay. And did Auntie Rona work? Was no. She, she didn't work at all? Like, she wasn't working when you met her? No. Okay. So she never worked? She never went to her. The only work she did was in Kalgoorlie babysitting. Looked after babies all life. Yeah. But there wasn't anything out here in those days. Yeah. There was no way of getting to work either. Yeah. So that's where they were from, Kalgoorlie originally. Oh, they were from Esperance, weren't they, originally? She was born in Esperance and they worked away to Kalgoorlie. They worked from Esperance, Grass Patch, and then Boulder, Kalgoorlie. Yeah. And they, she went to school in Boulder. And then moved to Perth, what, when she'd finished school? Yeah, yeah, she'd finished by then, yeah. Yeah. So she was the middle child, wasn't she? Hmm? Joan's the oldest, and then Auntie Rona, and then Keith, or then Keith? No, Keith's the oldest, then Rona. Oh, okay. Then Joan. Okay. And she was a few years younger than you, yeah? Uh, well, I was born 1920, she was born 1926. Yep. Well, I was November and she was 20th of March. So it's six, seven years, whatever it works out at. Yeah. And did you date for long before you got married? Uh, about two years, I suppose. Okay. So how did people date then? Did you have a chaperone or did you just used to... What did people do then? Well, there's no such thing as a chaperone, but then we never went anywhere much either. Yeah. What you could do is walk around the bush. Or go to town occasionally. Yep. I've got that picture of you guys when you were in town and you bought her ring or something, but her dad was in town and you didn't want him to see. That's when I got the engagement ring. Yeah. I had to wait for it. Oh, okay. So we were trying to dodge him and we didn't know where he was. Yep. <laughs> so had you ordered the ring? Yeah. It had been picked out. I think it had to be adjusted. Oh, okay. We just had to wait. So you hadn't asked his permission then to marry his daughter? No. <laughs> well, we're only getting engaged. We got, so you can get engaged without asking, but you couldn't get married without asking. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. I mean, 
Were you you weren't brought up religious at all? No. And was Auntie Rona brought up religious at Not all? Not really. No. So yeah. Probably less religious than me. <laughs> so um, it sounds like you had lots to do with her dad. What was her mum like? Actually, she was good, but she could be a bit cranky. Okay. Well, most women can. <laughs> I think it's a girl thing. And her dad was pretty good. You got along well with him. Oh, I used to get along well with him, right? But he was always smoking and drinking and doing a bit of gambling. That was his main downfall. Yeah. Hmm. He's a good worker. Very good worker. He's only a little bloke. He yeah. actually got me. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think there's a photo of him on a horse, isn't there? No, that's his brother, which is about the same size. Oh, okay. That's still on the house. Yeah. Hmm. That's Bill, Billy Townsend. And what was her dad's name? Norman. Oh, okay. Or Orman, actually, O-R-M. Yeah. Harry Orman Townsend, he went to the name of Orm. Hmm. So, and Auntie Rona loved horses, but... Oh, Jane rode as well, didn't she? Oh, yes. They all rode. Yeah. Keith? No? Hmm? Did Keith ride? No, he, he had all the balance in the world on a push bike. Yeah. Useless on horse. Oh. If a horse shook, he'd fall off. <laughs> That's <laughs> unusual. Yeah. Yeah, he had no balance whatsoever on horse. Huh. But you had to do any damn thing at all with a push bike. <laughs> so when you moved out to Joseph Road, did you have horses then? No. Didn't have anything then. But uh, after I got there, then I had the old Sherport truck. That's how we used to get about in those days. Yeah. <coughs> brother had a Sherb car broke, cut down to a year. But uh, I went to uh, Chidlow, mm -hmm. and the blokes were fiddling around with the horse there. So I bought it, and that was by the name of Beth, mm -hmm. and I broke her in the cart, one of the easiest horses I had to break in. Hmm. And she's the one you were riding in when it snowed? Yep. <laughs> yep. She's the one I used to bring the Brumbies in from out of Greystones as well. Yeah. And I led a cow from Joseph Road through the back way right through to Chidlow. Hmm. How do you lead that a, same horse. How do you lead a cow? Hmm? Do you just did it have a ring in its nose or? No, no, no. no. Halter. Oh, okay. Well, you've got to get them broken into halter first. Yeah. So it was a house cow. So it was broken into being tied up and being led. Yep. Yeah. So I just took the wrist and grabbed the rope and hopped on the horse and away I went. No problem. Well, but that horse is a good one. If anything plays up, it should just pull like crazy. Yeah. And make them move. <laughs> <laughs> and what breed was she? Jersey. <laughs> oh, okay. Jersey house cow. I took it up to Chidlow for some reason. Somebody bought it, something, I don't know. It wasn't mine. Yeah. <laughs> we just did the job. And what breed was best? She was part trotter. I don't know what the other breed was. Okay. But all she could move. Is she the one you'd put your foot in and then she'd be on her way? Yep. Yeah, I remember. I don't know if it was you or Aunty Rona telling me about that. And Aunty Rona always talked about another horse, Billy. Yeah, yeah, a little grey one, uh, out of course. Was that Aunty Rona's horse, or yeah. what was he like? A very good little pony. Yeah. He was what you call a big little horse. He wasn't very high, but he was big boned, yep. very strong. 
a good walker. In fact, she used to walk that far. She got Rona frightened for a while. Oh. And the job to get her going. She'd want to get off and all that. Well, you know, horse is doing only walking. Yeah. Uh, eventually, I got her going. We rode right through to Wandawi. Yeah. And then back again after that. She'd go and put the saddle on and ride him anyway. Because he was quiet, but he was just a fast walker. Yeah. Well, she think he was going to take off. Yeah. Because she'd only been used to broken down old axes. She had to boot them along and then they'd hardly move. Yeah. So I don't blame her. Yeah. <coughs> and but you she... found him for her? Hmm? You found that pony for her? Yeah. Yeah, I bought him from a uh, young bloke around the pub. Well, he didn't know his father owned it. Yeah. And then you used to, were you still in Gidjigannet when you were going and bringing Brumbies in from... What was that? Were you still out in Gidjigannet when you were getting the Brumbies from in Mundaring? Yeah, I was in Joseph Road. Okay. And you'd bring them in, break them in and sell them? Yeah. How many did you bring in, do you think? Three. Oh, okay. And how did you get them? Well, I went out with a roll of barbed wire. Yep. And we found that the Brumbies were crossing a little bridge. Mm-hmm and going into a gully to feed. So I fenced the gully, Yep. left an opening right at the bridge. I camped under the bridge. I was lucky the wind was blowing the wrong way. At night time, I heard the horses cross. Mm -hmm. I just went and shut a gate and nicked off out the way. So of course, I went out actually to catch a crotter and a foal that had got away from a bloke up here. And you know, the silly coot, when I said I got them locked in, he wouldn't listen to me. He went down and started calling, so the horses took off straight through the fence, but they didn't know it was there. Yeah. So I had to fix the fence up and hope they'd come back yeah. another night, which they did, and I warned that bloke, keep out of it or you can leave your trotter right where it is. Mm. When I got them in the next time, it turned out the only horse that had a mark on it, well ripped, was the foal. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because the, the mare was. Uh, Babe's Globe, a very fast mare, but she come to the end of trotting period, so you're going to use her for breeding. Yeah. But she got away somewhere, brother. So how many Brumbies were out there? Like, you brought three in, how many were there? Oh, about ten, ten, twelve. Okay. But we had a lot of them in. Hmm. Well, I brought in four, because I brought in one stallion. Yep. HO1 was the brand. Oh, okay. And that HL1 was somebody in Armadale and I couldn't contact them. So whether that horse got away or was deliberately turned out, I don't know. But he was like a, uh, or like a big pony, well-bred, well-shaped sort yeah. of horse. You know? But I couldn't find out who they were. Hmm. But uh, the brand was very bright, HL1. So I was able to track who owned it. Yeah. But they must have shifted. Now, Auntie Rona talked about a horse called Ranger Direct. Hmm? Auntie Rona talked to a horse called Rangy Direct. Rangy Direct was a trotter that founded in Chidlow. Okay. So I brought him down and I nursed him back, got him going and rode him back to uh, Chidlow again. And the people up there, the lady who owned him was amazed, her and her husband, that they could get him going, because they reckon I wouldn't get him going. Oh, okay. Because I took a float up and put him on, because he couldn't walk. Wow. Had a job to stand on his feet most of the time lying down. Because when you found that the bones twist, 
and they sort of come through the sole of the feet. Yeah. So you've got to get all those back in place. Slow process. Mm. Yeah, that was Frankie Doric. He had been a very good horse. But he got out. He'd go and turn taps on or he'd undo the slip rail. Mm -hmm. And he got into a butt of wheat. So he got pounder. Didn't the horse you had called Mac do that sort of thing as well? Hmm? You had a horse called Mac. Didn't he used to do that as well? Bold Mac? Oh, hang on, it was Bold Mac that used to do it. Rangy direct I got from Madalena. Yep. Yeah, he's a big bay horse. Very quiet to ride, but he was very far. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So you've had. Bold Mac was the one I got from Chidler. He's the one that found it. Yeah. <laughs> so you've had lots of trotters. I had about four. Is that just because there was lots around? More of them than racehorses? Or? Oh, you could get them one after the other because they finished racing and nobody wanted them. Yeah. So you could get them, you can get them today. Because I remember when I went up there and there was Mac and Olive and Goldie. Yeah. And I don't know which other ones. Well, they were all trotters. Yeah. Yeah. I remember Goldie standing on my foot when I was little. I think he probably broke a toe and I never got it looked at. Because every now and then it really hurts. It's like, yeah, they'll do that. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever broken a toe? No. They reckon they can't fix toes. If you break them, they just mend themselves. That's probably right, I suppose. You've got to let it grow back. Yeah. Yep. So you've like been out there and brought in Brumbies and been in the army and never broken anything. No. Never broken a bone. No. Had many, um, any near misses from horses that you've been breaking in? Not that I'm aware of, probably have. But I've been thrown off a few. Yeah. So, I could have been close to getting a broken bone, I don't know. <laughs> Just tough. Considering that you've come through the depression, but I guess if you were growing all your own vegetables and you had your own milking cows and all that, then you probably still ate fairly well and got enough calcium or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Oh well, that's probably enough and then um, I'll put that on the computer and then we'll do some more another day. Okay. Thanks Roy.